Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you and yours. Uh, the weekend's over. We start a work week. Uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am your host, Jason Whitlock. And uh, you know what? I'm actually happy it's Monday. I feel invigorated and excited about this week that we have uh, ahead of us. And I have a fire uh, that I want, that I started on Friday, that I'm gonna reignite today. And the fire's so good and so strong, I don't need any help. I, I called, uh, Delano and Royce and Shamika and Steve Kim and Uncle Jimmy and everybody said, hey, uh, take the day off. Your boy's got this himself. Uh, I'm going to start a fire, a continuation of the fire I started on Friday. It's going to be so enormous. I just want it to smolder overnight. And then I'm going to bring back in uh, our contributors and let them chop it up with me about a topic that's, again, a continuation. If you saw, saw Friday's show, uh, I talked about Disney and Disney's uh, cultural influence on America and on the sports world in particular. And one of the things I, I kind of regret and second-guess myself uh, about on Friday was there was more I wanted to say before I brought T.J. Moe on. Uh, but I made the decision to get to the contributors and, and their take and kind of cut my take short. And in retrospect, as soon as the show was over, I was like, man, I didn't unpack that all the way, the way that I wanted to unpack it. And so I'm going to do that today. And, and then it's going to be such an enormous blaze, such so much to think about. I want you as the viewers and the audience to have some time to marinate and, and think about what, what I'm about to say and what I'm about to unpack. And I want the contributors to have the same opportunity. And then tomorrow they'll take the conversation to a higher level. I don't ha have any doubt about that. Uh, the people that come on this show regularly are some of the smartest people uh, talking about American culture. We're also gonna have Jack Posebic on with us tomorrow. Uh, who, who was uh, recently suspended by Twitter over his comments about Disney and grooming. And so it's going to fit into this conversation. I'm trying to unpack and, and have my audience understand, like, what's going on with American culture? What's going on with sports culture? What's going on with Disney's role in American culture and sports culture? And so... <clears throat> I don't know if I'm gonna reach some emotional fervor pitch 
like sometimes I do in, in these fire starters, but I am going to try to further unpack a big idea and give you guys an understanding of what's going on in the sports world and what role Disney has played in what's going on with the sports world and how Disney's role in the sports world and ESPN fit an overall cultural shift going on in America. And that you can't have this overall cultural shift without the sports world being involved. That sports are actually the primary driver of American culture. If you remember the ideas in sports, are supposed to best exemplify American freedom, the meritocracy, hard work, or whatever the great ideas, ideals are for America, they're supposed to be represented in the sports world. And Disney and the globalists and whoever else have uh, decided they need to control the sports world if they want to control America and control American culture. And so my, my overall theme that I'm going to, and I, it's, it's going to be a lot to unpack, but is that Disney is feminizing America and American culture. And you can't feminize America, American culture, without feminizing the sports world. And, and, and making, again, everything about feelings and about how quite frankly, uh, women. It's, it's, a, it's a female worldview. It's a, it's a female-driven society. And Disney is the leader in imposing, in, in undermining masculinity and a male-driven worldview and imposing a female, a masculine, emasculated American culture. And so, <clears throat> Let me start here with what I think is one of the latest examples of, of what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to go some cuts deeper and, and try to tie it all together. But I, I want to start with uh, Dwayne Haskins and his tragic, unfortunate death this weekend down in Florida. Haskins, uh, backup quarterback with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Originally a first-round draft pick of the Washington Redskins, now Washington Commanders. Uh, he washed out in Washington, uh, ended up in Pittsburgh as a backup to Ben Roethlisberger. Now I think a backup to Mason Rudolph or oh, the Mitch Trubisky, I think they just <coughs> signed in Pittsburgh. Uh, left Ohio State early, despite the advice of his head coach, I think at the time, um, Urban Meyer wanting him to stay, saying he's not mature enough. Well, <clears throat> Saturday, early Saturday morning, uh, while trying to cross a highway, apparently, in uh, the Miami area, Fort Lauderdale area, um, at like 6 in the morning, Dwayne Haskins gets run over by a truck. We don't know what he was doing on the highway, why he was trying to cross the highway at that time in the morning, whatever. Adam Schefter uh, tweets out, <clears throat> and I want to read verbatim, 
what Adam Schefter, the NFL reporter for ESPN, he tweets out, Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with the Washington, with Washington and Pittsburgh and NFL, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida per his agent, Cedric Saunders. Haskins would have turned 25 years old on May 3rd. So, <clears throat> Adam Schefter tweets that out. Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh and the NFL, died this morning. Uh, the internet, Twitter, social media melted down. How dare uh, Adam Schefter reference the fact that Dwayne Haskins struggled uh, with Washington and Pittsburgh? How insensitive. And so there starts to be all of this heat being directed at Adam Schefter, all this blowback and all this framing of it as just incredibly insensitive and how dare these athletes aren't just transactions, uh, they're human beings. And this is an example of the kind of uh, unfairness, insensitivity that athletes face uh, from the mainstream media and particularly guys like Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter's white. It's been reported he makes $9 million a year. He's white privileged and therefore when Dwayne Haskins dies, he thinks it's important over Twitter to mention that he struggled in Washington and Pittsburgh. Athletes go after Adam Schefter. People in the media go after Adam Schefter. When I, I saw it and was like, well, well, hold on, let me go find out what Adam Schefter said. And again, probably not the tweet I would have put out. I, Dwayne Haskins, uh, NFL quarterback, died tragically this morning. He was struck by a car, according to his agent. Probably what I, Adam, he got the information from Dwayne Haskins' agent, according to the tweet, per his agent, Cedric Saunders, I don't think Adam has any problem with Dwayne Haskins or his agent. Uh, he just wanted to add some context uh, to who Dwayne Haskins was. And I think that little tiny bit of context pretty much summarizes Dwayne Haskins and why people know him. It doesn't summarize, I'm talking about why people know him. It summarizes that. Who Dwayne Haskins is, most 99.999999% of America has no idea who Dwayne Haskins is. What he's really like, how he treats people. Mo the overwhelming majority of people, the only thing they know is he was a standout quarterback at Ohio State who struggled in the NFL. Adam Schefter summarized him, his the re his notoriety in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, in 17 words. 17 words to summarize why Dwayne Haskins is a notable person and why anyone should care about his death more so than the thousands of other people who probably died on Saturday. Uh, this is not a big deal. But it's an indication of where we've gone mentally in America is there is a massive manhunt for victimization. 
and and we just oh Dwayne Haskins it's not he's not victim enough just he died in a tragic highway accident we have to add on an extra layer of victimization that Adam Schefter uh, said he struggled during his NFL career and so this is utopia and this is how we have now chosen to celebrate uh, athletes uh, in death we, we look for their victimization and how they were mistreated and and we found it here with this Schefter tweet at some point <clears throat> I tweeted out uh, I think Sunday morning today's nope this had to be Saturday yesterday the 10th well yeah Saturday uh, Twitter has normalized the obsession with protecting the legacy of dead black men and ignoring the plight of living black boys and men groomed to embrace a culture of death Funeral flowers to cover up the up the indifference to life. Everybody fell in love with George Floyd at his funeral. That was my take. Then things got a little saucier when Gil Brandt, a longtime uh, NFL executive, uh, I think came to flame, uh, fame and prominence years ago with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And I think he's in the NFL Hall of Fame as an executive, a contributor of some sort. Gil Brandt's now 90 years old. He still does a little bit of radio. Uh, I think he was involved in the scouting process uh, of Dwayne Haskins. It may have had some little role in Washington of some sort when Haskins uh, was a quarterback there. Anyway, he, he knew a little bit about Dwayne Haskins, certainly knew the people that uh, were working with Haskins in Washington, and Gil Brandt is still on the radio, and someone Saturday morning asked Gil Brandt a question about uh, Dwayne Haskins' death, and being 90 years old, uh, Gil Brandt ended up saying what he really thought. Uh, take a listen. I hate any time anybody is killed or anybody dies, uh, but he was a guy that was living to be dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, they told him, don't under any circumstances leave school early. You just, you just don't have the work habits. You don't have this. You don't have that. What did he do? Left school early. Uh, I always can remember this. Uh, we invited players to the draft, and he was one of the players we invited to the draft. And uh, we were told, no, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have our own party. His own party was uh, a party at the bowling alley, charged him 50 bucks to get into the bowling alley for his party. Uh, it was always something, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm never offside, but they keep calling me for offside is what it is so you know it, it's a tragic thing anytime anybody dies it's tragic uh, and especially when you're 24 years old and you got to hold your whole life ahead of you uh, but um, you know maybe if he'd have stayed in school a year uh, he wouldn't do silly things I mean I don't when you're jogging on a highway uh, you know on a road like that that leaves it open because I tell you it's so uh, guy has two drinks and he's just a little bit to, to the right side of the road uh, and, and gets hit and killed. It's easy to happen. See, this is what happens in my experience. Not that I know a bunch of 90-year-olds, but I certainly know people in their 80s. Uh, but you reach an age 
where people need to be very careful about what they asked you. Because there's a certain age where you only really speak the truth. It, it, I think it happens with babies. You ask a three, four, five-year-old what they think, they're gonna tell you pretty much. They don't have that filter to, to oh, I, I'm supposed to lie here. And so they just tell you what they think. Hey, Jace, if I, if I go up and ask a little uh, kid, hey, am I overweight? The kid's probably gonna say you're fat. Cause that's all he can think to say. He's not gonna say, well, you're pleasantly plump. Well, you're husky. He's gonna, no, you're fat. And that's what kids do. If you ask a 90 year old what they think, they're going to generally speaking, tell you exactly what they're thinking. And so Gil Brandt told the truth from his perspective about what he knew about Dwayne Haskins. And had he said that on Friday, when Dwayne Haskins was alive, there would be no controversy. He could speak the truth on Friday. On Saturday, in death, he's supposed, at 90 years old, is supposed to be smart enough uh, or, and have enough of a filter to go, ah, guy's dead, I'm not gonna say what I really think. I'm gonna keep it real simple here. I know I'm on the radio and they want me to say what I really think, but no, he's dead. I don't want Twitter upset with me, so I'm gonna bite my tongue and not say what I really think. And see, this is an indication of where we're gone, where we've gone in this society. Gil Brandt's comments are, you know, people are acting like he dropped a nuclear bomb on Haskins and his family. I would tend to think having dealt with uh, death of older people, having dealt with death of younger people close to me. Uh, again, someone asked me this weekend, hey Jason, what about your cousin who was killed by the police? Uh, if someone says something insensitive about him, uh, how would you feel about it? People have said insensitive things directly to me over social media about my cousin, Anton Butler. It does not phase me. And it's not because I'm superhuman. It's because I don't care what strangers think about my cousin. I really don't. And my cousin died at the hands of police, in my, me and my family's view, in a unlawful, unfair fashion. The police have a different story. They say he had cocaine in the system and choked on that cocaine. And there are people who believe that, and when I have referenced my cousin, they have put that in my face. Your cousin was on coke and blah, blah, shut up, blah, blah. Nothing they say is going to bring my cousin back, remove the pain me and my family felt, uh, help ease the pain. It's not going to increase the pain, nothing. It's just somebody spouting off. Gilbrand is just somewhere spouting off. I, it's hard for me to believe that anyone in Dwayne Haskins' family or circle cares what Gil, Gil Brandt has to say about Dwayne Haskins. But because this culture has been so feminized and so rigged towards feelings, the worst thing you can do in this country is hurt someone's feelings. 
Oh my God, you said something that hurt someone's feeling. Stop the presses in the world. You must be shut down. Gil Brandt must be fired. Adam Schefter should be suspended. How dare Adam Schefter say he struggled? And how dare Gil Brandt say what he knows about Dwayne Haskins? We are committed to protecting the legacy of dead black men. If Gail King makes the mistake of asking Lisa Leslie or anybody about, hey, how did you feel about Kobe and the rape allegations? Snoop Dogg is threatening to hit her with the penalty of death or beating her up. Because Kobe now lives in this protective space, he's a god, and the only thing that you can do is worship him and sing his praises. You can't talk about his life in full. You can't talk about the other things besides basketball that defined his reputation. It, it almost goes, it goes either direction. I was critical of Kobe during his playing career. I was celebratory of Kobe post-retirement. This feminized version of America we have caused these feminine men like Matt Barnes to attack me because I criticized Kobe during his playing career. I didn't criticize Kobe after his playing career. I didn't criticize Kobe after he died. Again, I just want you to think, those of you that are men here, and again, I'm not trying to denigrate women, but I just want to speak factually and honestly, you, if you've ever been in a relationship with a woman, a long one, and had her go back to things that happened seven years ago that you had forgotten about, completely forgotten, you're not even faking, it's just like, you baby, you talking about something that happened seven years ago? I already apologized for that. What, what, what are you talking, seven years? That's the culture we have now with men, they've been so feminized and their skin is so thin and so sensitive that things that happened decades ago, years ago, what, anything will trigger them and set them off and oh my God, how dare you say this about Kobe? George Floyd, I know he stuck up people and was a criminal and drug user, <laughs> but my God, he's dead now. And since he's dead, we must treat him like Jesus, even though he performed none of the acts Jesus did. See, there used to be a time when men could be men and could have uncomfortable conversations based in fact, based in reality, and no one broke down in tears over it. No one went whining and threatening to, oh my God, I gotta kill you. I'm gonna threaten to kill, how dare you say something about this sanctified person in death? We've created a feminized culture and, and a social media culture that rewards feminine energy. This next person I'm about to reference is young, 
I don't want to denigrate him, but I, I just got to speak factually. That I, again, this isn't me trying to beat up this young person because he's a young person. But I, I just want to grab this young man or somebody grab this young man and say, hey man, what are you doing? Chase Claypool, wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of Dwayne Haskins' teammates. Someone needs to disciple this young man on what he needs to do with his emotional energy and his emotions. Recording them and putting them out over social media, that is not how you properly handle your emotions. That's how you build a brand over social media. That's how you stand on the casket of Dwayne Haskins to build your own social media brand. Again, I know we've all OD'd on reality TV, Desperate Housewives shows, The Real World, and, and everybody thinks that every emotion must be captured and shared with the world. I could not imagine someone I love dying and me thinking, I need to grab my cell phone and record my emotions and post it on social media. Young man, I am not trying to, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to denigrate you. I'm trying to, you need help, brother. This video that you recorded and placed on your Twitter feed is completely inappropriate. Play it. Wait, I was just with you, man. And I love you, brother. What are we doing? As men, Dwayne Haskins dies, and it's an opportunity for social media content in the form of, I'm being transparent. But I, 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 honest to goodness, I mean, there was a time, there was a time when people died and people thought, you know what? Let me take, cause again, that was like a 10 second video. And people said, well, let me take 10 seconds and pray for this person's soul. Let me privately throw some words out to God or whatever higher power you recognize and ask that higher power, God, Jesus, to wrap their arms around this person's soul. There was a time when that was standard operating procedure. We're moving into a time where grabbing your cell phone, recording yourself, and pushing it out over social media. I believe this thing has 90,000, 100,000 likes, 10, 11, 12,000 retweets. 
We're looking for social media approval, even in death. This is, I'm just, I apologize up front, but these are the only words I can think of in the moment to describe what's going on. It's called attention whoring. And there was a time when that word was associated with young girls desperately in need of attention. Now it applies to grown men. Grown men, this is what social media has done to us. Turned us all into attention whores. And has us totally immersed in our feelings. Everything is about feelings. There are no facts anymore. There is no truth. There are only feelings. This is dangerous. And Disney is promoting it. And social media apps and Silicon Valley and YouTube and Google and corporate America and corporate media are pushing all of us. Just give in to your feelings. Let your feelings lead you wherever they want to take you. Don't be obedient to any truth. Be obedient to your feelings. They're after our kids. And this is where Disney, and I'm sorry I keep saying our kids. I don't have kids. But I promise you, I sit around and think about my brother, my sister, my friends, and all these with kids. I was like, what world are you leaving your kids? This is insanity, the direction we're going. I just saw, and, and I'm going to pivot all the way back to Disney here in a second, but I want to give you just one more example of how feelings are in control of American society. I saw this clip uh, on my social media. A young woman was talking about YouTube and the education system and the targeting of kids. And, and she was trying to make the point about transgender and the LGBT and all that. And, and, and all I could zero in on when I play you this clip is this promotion of feelings being the most important thing in all of the planet. However you feel, it's the highest priority to your existence. So here's some video on YouTube that's directed at kids about their sexuality and gender. Play the clip. This one has a penis. It's a boy. This one has a vulva. It's a girl. Congratulations. Whoa. Let's hit the brakes, people. 
The way your body looks on the outside is only part of the story. Huh? What? <sighs> Stay with me, gang. This is important. Hi, little one. Your sex refers to your physical body parts, remember? But there is also something called gender, which is how you feel inside your body and who you know yourself to be. And your gender, how you feel on the inside, doesn't always match the sex you were called when you were born. Let's say you were born with a penis and you feel like a boy inside. In that case, your sex and your gender match. Well, what if you were born with a penis and you know you're a girl inside? not a boy. Then your sex and your gender don't match. The body parts you were born with don't always dictate who you are, how you feel, or what you like to play with. Ah, that's such a relief. Gender, how you feel and who you know yourself to be, tells you who you are. And there are a whole bunch of possibilities. Figuring out what feels right for you is just part of growing up. <laughs> Bye, little cutie. None of that is on accident. And I'm, I'm, listen, they're after all the kids. But black kids, there's a special target on your back. Black boys, there's a big special target on your backs. And no one's jumping out here to defend you. No one's out here, there's inspired change, NFL movement, Black Lives Matter, any of the stuff the NBA is about. None of it is in any defense of black boys. It's all in defense of dead black men, preferably career criminals uh, killed by white people. But in terms of anybody doing anything to protect young boys in general, but young black boys in particular, no one's raising a hand. You will not hear one NFL or NBA player say a word. These commercials, and again, it's not by accident that that's a little black boy. Oh, thank you for telling me. Now let me grab this little, I feel like a woman on the inside. This is grooming. This is a lane that boys are being pushed into, and black boys in particular. And this whole little thing, <laughs> gender is how you feel on the inside. Who, who, who came up with this definition? Who approved that? Was there some debate? Who gets to decide? That that's what gender is now. How you feel on the inside. I was never taught that. I never felt that way. It's, I, is there some scripture in the Bible? Is there... A, is there a constitutional amendment? Is it in the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence? Who decided gender is how you feel on the inside? The feminist movement in the 1970s. Gender, the word gender originally was a grammatical term. In the 70s, the feminist movement took over the word gender, hijacked it, and have used it for their purposes to create this confusion that we have now, going on now. I'm, <clears throat> I'm gonna take a little pause.
but I'm not close to done. I just want to take a little pause and I'm going to bring Disney and its role in all this into full perspective. But I want to first just take a pause to tell you about my friends at Good Ranchers. If you haven't seen the price of meat lately, you're in for a pretty nasty surprise. Inflation has affected a lot of different areas around this country, and your local grocery store is no exception. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat. You order it, and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless right now and get a $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Good Ranchers takes the guesswork out of the grocery store by sourcing everything from local farms and shipping it to your door. Use my code FEARLESS and enjoy your $30 savings on your box of 100% American meat. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. Be a good little fearless soldier and start feeding your army good ranchers meat. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to keep rolling. I'm going to segue right into uh, <clears throat> my next little aspect of this. I want to zero in <clears throat> on ESPN and their role of Disney and ESPN's role in feminizing our culture. And as I told you all last Friday, in 1996, Disney purchased ABC and ESPN. Two years before, in 1994, Disney tried but failed to buy NBC. They settled on uh, ABC and ESPN. At the time, in, in, in 1994, when they were trying to buy NBC, NBC had the NBA rights. So Disney has been trying to get in the sports lane for a long time. In 1996, they succeeded. They'd been better off if they had just bought NBC. They went and bought the whole enchilada ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. And then I believe it was in 2002, uh, the NBA rights became available and Disney bought those for ABC and ESPN. A year later, LeBron James, the heir to Michael Jordan, hops on board the NBA, joins the NBA, comes out of high school straight to the NBA. And for the last 20 years, uh, and really starting when, with the purchase of ESPN in 1996, Disney has gone about the business of feminizing and wokeifying sports. This, has been, this isn't some overnight thing that just happened in the last two or three years. This isn't some, you know, Colin Kaepernick uh, coincidence that they took advantage of. This has been a plot and a strategy for nearly 30 years. When Disney got a hold of ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, the goal was to Disneyfy. ESPN and the sports world, and to feminize ESPN and the sports world. And that's what's gone on the last 25, 26 years. The sports world and ESPN have been feminized. And they do it through their little key catchphrase, diversity, inclusion, and equity. 
They call it diversity, equity, and inclusion. I call it diversity, inclusion, and equity because it's DIE. It's the death of men. It's the assassination of men. That's what Disney and ESPN are about, imposing the matriarchy on the rest of the world, and particularly on American culture through sports. You've heard me mention this guy, and I'm gonna walk you through how they do it. <clears throat> and again, I worked at ESPN twice. Um, 2001 or two till maybe 2006, seven, I can't remember, and then 2013 and 2015. Uh, so in the very early stages, of ESPN being emasculated, and at a time, I didn't even realize that that was what was going on that first trip around. And then 2013 to 2015, when it's like, whoa, I got all the smoke for having the wrong values at ESPN. Heterosexual, Christian, male, no dice. Those values, if you're willing to express them, ESPN wants nothing to do with you. And so I've mentioned this person before. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna mention it again because it, it applies to all of corporate America. There's a guy named Paul Richardson, someone you've likely never heard of unless you watch this show religiously and you've heard me reference Paul Richardson. Uh, but Paul Richardson is, when I was at ESPN that second time, he was the uh, head of the Human Resources Department at ESPN. Maybe a chief diversity officer, I can't remember. He's now uh, gone on to Disney Heaven and he's the head of, he's the chief diversity officer of all of Disney. Paul Richardson, I've said this before, I've mentioned it in articles, the most powerful man at ESPN when I was there, and still is the most powerful man at ESPN, even though he now works for Disney. Anytime John Skipper went anywhere, Paul Richardson was his right-hand man. Human resources is the key to transforming the American workplace. Whoever the head of human resources is, or the chief diversity officer, or whatever they wanted, whatever title they give him at your corporate job, whoever that person is, is likely the most powerful person. And he, generally speaking, he or she, fits a profile. Paul Richardson certainly fits the profile. Soldier, decorated soldier in the Alphabet Mafia. LGBTQIA+ soldier in the Alphabet Mafia, and covers the BLM aspect as well. This is quite common in corporate America all across the country. There is an Alphabet, Alphabet Mafia soldier running major corporations, human resources departments all over the country. They are the gatekeepers. They get to decide what the culture is inside the company, who gets jobs, who gets promotions, who uh, has influence over corporate culture. It's the head of human resources, Paul Richardson. He's now gone on to Disney heaven. Again, he's the leader of Disney 
chief diversity officer, what a human resource. I, I, I don't know the exact title, but he's elevated from running ESPN's HR department to basically running all of Disney. He fits the profile. If you, those of you watching, go do the homework on who your chief diversity officer is or head of human resources is. Go do the homework. Generally speaking, eight times out of 10, seven times out of 10, they're gonna fit the profile. And they're gatekeepers. And I wanna just tell you how things have changed. When I graduated college in 1990, for most of my career, no one cared what I thought about sexuality, gender, who I voted for. None of my political opinions matter. You'd interview for a job, and the only concern was, can you do the job? I didn't have to think certain things. No one went there. I didn't have a Twitter feed. There was no social media. So no one cared what my religious thoughts were, what my lifestyle was. They didn't care if I checked certain boxes, although, you know, affirmative action was uh, in place in 1990 when I graduated college. But again, the primary concern of any job I got all the way up until 2013, can Jason Whitlock do the job? It operated just like sports. In sports, I played on football teams where there's 22 starters, there's 100 guys on the team, uh, they're from all different walks of life. Some are from the city, some are from the sticks, some are from the suburbs, some are Catholics, some are Baptists, some are atheists, some are agnostics, some are rich, some are poor. Some of them know their daddies, some of them ain't never met their daddies. Some were racist, some weren't. Some were probably gay, some were, prob were straight. No one cared. The defining, the only thing people cared about is could you help us win? Could you do your job? And so I played with and became friends with guys that thought all kinds of things that I disagreed with. Guys who probably had a bias against me because I was black. I played with black guys who didn't like white guys and white guys who didn't like black guys. It didn't matter. We practiced and on Saturdays we played as a unit, as a team. No one cared. Could you do your job? If you couldn't do your job, you had a problem. Guys may try to punk you because you couldn't play and you couldn't help us win. That's the way things used to work in sports, and that's why sports were such a great influence on American society and culture, because it taught us that despite our differences, we could come together under a common goal and work together and excel. The Ball State football team, as far as I know, particularly when it came to the 22 guys that started games, 
It wasn't about diversity, inclusion, and equity. It was about could you play? The overall makeup of the roster, to some degree, I, I will say, I think sometimes race did play an influence on the over, but some of that could just be, I'm just gonna keep it honest. I'm gonna keep it, because me and my teammates used to talk about this all the time. It's like, man, you go to our two deep, and the black dudes is all over the two deep, and when you go scholarship guys that didn't make the two deep, you see a lot more white guys. And we used to talk about that and discuss it. And then, but you know, sometimes we get totally real and be like, some of these guys getting scholarships because they know they're going to stay eligible. They know they're going to be able to handle this college work at Ball State. Some of us, we tend to have a higher, uh, propensity to flunk out. So maybe that impacts who they recruit because they get judged on those standards as well. So again, I'm just as it related to playing and taking that field and helping Ball State, it wasn't about diversity, inclusion, and equity. Could you play? Could you help us win? And I loved it. And when I, when I felt like when I entered the workforce and entered the real world, I was built for the real world because I could play. And if I could, I was going to put in the practice time and the work to learn how to play the journalism game at the highest level. The only thing that separated me from success in the journalism field was my willingness to work hard. And I was willing to work hard. And so I became successful. Once Disney takes over the worldwide leader in sports and starts imposing its culture of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Being qualified, whether or not you could play or not, in the field of journalism and broadcasting, it did not matter. It was like, oh, let's give Scoop Jackson a writing job even though he writes at a third grade level. Let's throw him out there as an ESPN columnist because that's diverse. He writes at a third grade level and thinks at a fifth grade level. No one cares. That's diversity. That's what started messing up the sports world. That mentality, diversity, inclusion, and equity over qualifications. And so now, when we go all the way down this diversity route, and we, oh, we gotta put an Instagram model on every show, cause that's diverse. Doesn't matter whether she knows anything about sports, doesn't matter whether she's qualified to talk about, interpret, broadcast sports at a high level. She's diverse and she looks good. And so she must have a role on every show. And so, and no different than my comments about Chase Claypool. I'm not trying to pick on uh, any one particular person. I, 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 can't, I don't dislike this person I'm about to reference. I, I don't have animus toward this person. I wish this person well, but I just have to have a factual conversation. 
This weekend, uh, a friend sent me a picture of Joy Taylor at Fox Sports that she posted on her Twitter feed, wearing a hat, in diversity we trust. And this is what I'm talking about when I say diversity, inclusion, and equity. And, and she works at Fox Sports. But again, ESPN calls itself the worldwide leader for a reason. As ESPN goes, everybody else in the sports world goes. So here's Joy Taylor with a hat on that says, in diversity we trust. Diversity has replaced God. Diversity, inclusion and equity, die, is a religion. And it's someone, Joy doesn't get this, because again, she's bought into the religion. But what she's saying is, my qualifications are my skin color, half of which is white, half of which is black. And my other qualification is my vagina and breast. So in diversity we trust, she should have said, in skin color, boobs and vagina we trust. That, that she's literally wearing a hat that says, I have no qualifications, hire me because I'm diverse. I, I'm removing the sacrilege and the blasphemy and you know, just the replacement of God and, and you know, because again, I don't even think she's thinking on that level. Or maybe, look, maybe she doesn't believe in God and doesn't care. I, I don't know. But that's what has happened because of the standard ESPN bringing those Disney values to the sports world. Where Disney and Hollywood and all these movie industries pick every script based on a quota system and will it make this group or that group happy? How will China feel about it? How will the alphabet mafia feel about it? Do, are we sticking to the right narrative on X, Y, and Z? Do we have enough black representation to do this and that? Do we have enough gay representation? Is the transphobe community happy? None of this has to do anything with truth or even fairness or competition. Everything to do with meeting a quota system. And people have bought into this quota system and think their value they have to offer the world is their skin color or their sexual organ. The entire conversation, because of diversity, inclusion, and equity, has been dumbed down in the sports world. Everything's about feelings, because again, you have to have a woman on every show, and no one cares whether the woman can actually talk about the sport in a meaningful way, if she understands NFL or NBA culture in a meaningful way. Did Mina Kimes, did she cover some NFL team that I'm unaware of? Did she come up the way John Clayton came up? Or did they hand her that job and force her into that position? Because 
She's diverse and inclusive and Asian and cute. Malika Andrews, oh my God, she's the greatest sideline reporter ever. She's gotta be the host of NBA Today. I mean, honestly, what does she know about the NBA? I mean, let's be real. And so they dumb the entire conversation down and then the athletes, instead of anyone elevating their conversation, the athletes dumb their conversation down to a level that women can talk about, feelings. See, everybody can talk about feelings. If, 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 if Colin Kaepernick uh, feels like he was discriminated against, well, Joy Taylor and Mina Kimes and uh, L. Duncan, they're all qualified to talk about feelings. An analysis of whether or not, a, a legitimate analysis of whether or not this man was discriminated against? They're not gonna have that because they haven't, have they ever talked to an NFL owner in a meaningful way? How much do they understand about the, the, the process and thought process of an NFL head coach, an NFL general manager, and an NFL owner? And then, yeah, oh yeah, they got the athletes there to co-sign for whatever, because again, athletes, and I, I, I'm t I used to be one, I'm still a man, I know what a woman does to a conversation. We don't tell women, particularly attractive ones, the truth at all. It's not worth it. Who wants to deal with that headache? Who wants to blow the chance that that woman may like you? Why risk telling her the truth? And so the entire conversation, everybody loses their balls, throws them out the window. Yeah, Kaepernick's a victim. All these NFL owners are racist. I used to ask uh, guys that would come on Speak for Yourself or friends of mine, like, well, name these racist NFL owners. Was the owner you played for, was he racist? No, man, he was great. He did X, Y, and Z for us. Well, well, who are these racist owners that just won't hire a black coach or won't hire Colin Kaepernick over the color of his skin? Maybe they won't hire Colin Kaepernick because he's an idiot who doesn't care about football, wouldn't put the study time in, wasn't a leader. You can't be mute Muhammad Ali, a guy afraid to speak and be a leader of a football team. Maybe Colin Kaepernick's salary demands were so exorbitant that everyone's like, this dude's crazy. He wants to be paid like a starter when he plays like a backup. That's not the right fit for our team. But you can't have these types of conversations when everybody's, oh, we gotta protect our feelings. That might hurt Colin Kaepernick's feelings. And someone over Twitter may say, oh, that's racist and that hurts my feelings. Everything is a feminized conversation because we have injected vaginas into every conversation.
men tiptoe around vaginas. That's just a fact. And women care more about feelings than men do. And so I want you guys to uh, watch this clip. <clears throat> Again, this is about what diversity, inclusion, and equity, and imposing Disney values on the sports world has done to the conversation of sports, the sports media, and just how it's feminized everything. I just, imagine a group of men doing what Sarah Spain and Julia Carl, this was three or four years ago, they came out with a video where they got men to read them the mean tweets that they received over Twitter. Watch this video. All right, you ready to do some mean tweets? I'm ready. Sarah Spain sounds like a nagging wife on TV today. Not even married yet. <laughs> Julie DeCaro is a run-of-the-mill, mediocre beat writer. Not atrocious, not good. Just sort of there. I'm actually not a beat writer at all, but okay. <laughs> Sarah Spain is just a scrub muffin. I don't even know what to scrub. I don't is. either. I love muffins. One of the players should beat you to death with their hockey stick, like the whore you are. I'm just reading this. Okay. <laughs> I mean. Okay, uh, this is why we don't hire any females unless we need, uh, unless we need our sucked or our food cooked. Sarah Spain is a self-important know-it-all. Okay. Uh. Just read the tweets, man. There's some mean tweets. Um, f this dumb A lot of C word. There's a lot of C in, words. In yeah. Yeah. I hope your dog gets hit by a car. You. <clears throat> Hopefully, this skank Julie DeCaro is Billy Co Bill Cosby's next victim. That would be classic. So. <clears throat> I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but it's, I've talked about this before. But one of the greatest moments of my life that, that changed my life wouldn't be here today if it hadn't happened. A, a, a high school football coach named Tony Burchett in 1982 called me the P word out in front of all my teammates as we were lining up for a uh, blocking drill, hamburger drill or whatever. I was a 15, 16 year old sophomore, called me a P, P-U-S-S-Y out in front of everybody. Said, oh, don't worry about Whitlock, he's a P-U-S. And it was based off of a game I played my freshman year I didn't play very well against a very good player. 
That comment from Tony Burchett, who's one of my best friends in life to this day, changed me. I was no one's ever going to call me that again. And every day that I played high school football at Warren Central High School, I thought about that and thought, ain't nobody calling me a P word ever again. That mentality is why I got a football scholarship to Ball State. That's why I was able to go to college. It changed my, and so what I'm saying is, there's a level of criticism and crudeness and uh, nastiness that will inspire men and boys. It does not have the same effect on women. And so I get it, Julie DeCaro and, and Sarah Spain, oh my God, these mean tweets. Well, this is what happens over here in the opinion space. You state opinions, you write them for Deadspin or ESPN, Sam on TV, there's gonna be some idiot who's gonna say some nasty S-H-I-T to you. I eat it like vegetables. Most of the guys I know eat it like vegetables and keep it moving. I get that it makes you melt and you wanna put videos on and tie yourself to a cross and say, oh my God, look at the pain. Someone said something mean to me over Twitter. And you have dramatic readings and you get all this sympathy and attention. I get it. You're built different. If you're not built for this, get out. Don't do all this whining and crying and everybody feels sorry for me and we must change this. And oh, I'm special because someone tweeted something mean to me. You wanna run with the big dogs? There's no difference between men and women? Act like it. But that's not the direction we're headed. We're joining the women. If D. Marie Smith gets an email, oh, I'm sorry, he didn't get an email. If John Gruden writes an email to a friend of his saying DeMorris Smith has big lips, we go on national TV and cry about it. Now a man called me the P word to my face in front of my teammates. I didn't cry and I was 15, 16 years old. I did something about it. But we got Hall of Fame football players on TV crying because another man wrote an email to another man and said another man had big lips. This is all this vagina energy that's running wild in the sports world. Disney is feminizing the entire sports world. And in the process, feminizing men. Because everybody loves attention. And if they're looking at women tie themselves to a cross and get attention and oh my God, look at these mean tweets. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do.
How dare they tweet mean things to me? <laughs> and so the next thing you know, women have made it fashionable for men to go on ESPN and cry about nothing. Play the clip. And so you can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen and you can uh, try to help because this is not okay. It's just not. Thank you for everybody that reached out to me. And um, like, I know it's getting better, but it's not better, better yet and better for everybody. And um, you know, like we just gotta keep, you know, staying together, man, and just doing what we can. Yeah. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. I'm okay. sorry. This is where they've taken us. That ESPN went years and years and years without me ever remembering a man on TV crying, unless it's tears of joy from winning, tears over the death of someone that coached them or they played with. You know, Gail Sayers crying about Brian Piccolo, that, that made sense. Ryan Clark crying because some white woman he don't know and his son don't know called his son the N-word at a McDonald's drive-thru. Are you kidding me? We are, this whole diversity, inclusion, and equity thing. I, I just want, you're wondering how, and again, this has been going, this whole feminization process, uh, wokeifying of sports has been going on for nearly 30 years. And so you, you wonder how we got to the point of Picking NFL head coaches by race. That's straight from the corporate world. That has nothing to do with sports. That's not reflective of sports culture. The Rooney Rule. Not reflective of sports culture. I don't know anybody in athletics who wants a handout or who wanted a handout. And now the NFL has sanctioned handouts. They're dictating a quota system for black offensive coaches. Y'all can't compete. And so uh, we're going to dictate NFL teams hire you as coaches. You won't do what's necessary to get these jobs, prepare yourself for these jobs, so we're gonna demand it. And soon enough, like, like everything that starts out on this racial thing, it's gonna end up about women getting jobs, and it already has, that's part of the deal. Then it's gonna be LGBTQ, 
Then it's going to be the transgenders. Then next, and I keep saying it, I don't care who don't like it, be about the pedophiles. Making sure the pedophiles are treated properly. This is Disney. This is their culture. They're imposing it on the sports world and emasculating America. They've turned the whole thing into a victimhood Olympics. There's nothing better than being a victim in sports. Drew Holiday, I'm just going to bring this all full circle or try to. Drew Holiday, guard for the Milwaukee Bucks. They just played the clip yesterday or showed him yesterday. Uh, when I talk about what Disney is doing to the sports world and how competition has, be, has been de-emphasized. And sports have always been about great competition. That was the hook, that was the draw. Highly skilled athletes competing at the high, hardest, highest level. Real animus between the competitors. Now, uh, we got guys, yesterday I believe it was, Drew Holiday need to play in his 67th or 69th game to qualify for a bonus of between two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand dollars, dude checked in for the opening tip and played nine seconds and walked to the bench. That was his day. You don't believe? Let's watch it. This is a Cavs team, Marcus. That's uh, the Cavs with the tip that has been uh, very inconsistent. Not as. Uh, haven't found as many W's since February 11th. And so Drew will check out. Yeah, Drew, Drew intentionally fouls Darius Garland at midcourt. He gets credited for a game of service. Yes. Which I think will, will, will be, serve be, him nice, well. be nice for him. It yes. will serve him well. Yes. Contractually. Yes. <laughs> In terms of minimum game requirements you know, for bonuses. So the question was, how long? <laughs> Not trying to beat up the broadcasters, but I just want to. There was a time in my lifetime where the broadcasters, instead of laughing it off and, <laughs> you go, Drew, they would have been offended. Like, hey, man, there's 48 minutes of competition you're just turning your back on. What athlete doesn't like to compete? Who would turn their back on a game after nine seconds and then go out and high five? I just got paid. LeBron James tweeted out, secure the bag. This competition doesn't matter in sports nearly as much as it used to. That's Disney. That's diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's feelings. That's a culture shift. I believe it was reported that five NBA players played 82 games this year. Five NBA players played all 82 games this year. That's a new record. The previous record was set the year before at 11. Last year, it halfway made sense given all the stupid 
COVID stuff and rescheduling and blah, blah, blah. 11, that was a record at 11 last year. They came back this year, five NBA players played all 82 games. I believe in the 99-2000 season, 58 players played all 82 games. In the 70s and 80s and 90s, it was commonplace for between 40 and 50 players to play all 82 games. I talked about this on Friday about Michael Jordan. Nine of his 14 seasons played all 82 games. John Stockton played 82 games, 16 of 19 seasons. I think the mailman played 10 82-game seasons. Men used to take pride in work, in being reliable. It's a joke now. And you can sit here and say, man, we need to be more like Europe and value our off time and vacation and blah, blah. And that was unhealthy. That mentality made America great and the envy of the world, the reliability of men. The fact that men would show up even when they probably shouldn't have. That used to be a high quality, something we valued about men, being reliable, showing up, doing your job. It's, I guess it's a curse my father left me with. When I, when I go think about how reliable my mother was when I was a kid, the sacrifices she made to her own personal life so that me and my brother could have what we needed as a foundation. The overtime she worked the day she went into Western Electric, that factory, even though she didn't feel 100% right. These were characteristics that like, I thought came along with my last name, Whitlock. Well, this is what Whitlocks do. We're reliable. We show up to work. And I sit here and say, you know what? It may shorten my life. Men used to think that way. It does. I have to be reliable. There's a standard of reliability and masculinity that I must meet as a man, even if it costs me my life. And I can hear the woke people now. Uh, you idiot. That's toxic masculinity. Stop and smell the roses. I don't stop and smell the roses because I want other people to. I want my mama to. Men used to take that burden on for their kids, for their wives, for their family. Y'all smell the roses. I got this. 
Now it's, uh, I don't have to be reliable. I can come up with a million excuses to not do my job. And if you don't listen to my million excuses, you're a racist. Or you're homophobic or you're transphobic or you don't care about my feelings. We're being turned into women. I don't have a problem with women. I just don't want to be one. I want them to be women and I want to be a man. And I want the responsibility of being a man. And I'd rather be thought of as a man than thought of as some, oh, he got paid, he got the bag, he sold out all of his principles, morals, integrity, values, principles, everything taught in the Bible, sold it all out to get the bag. I think I covered what I wanted to cover. Yep, that's it. We'll see you tomorrow. We are living, get back. We are receiving, not receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just want.